Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, a weekly, a bi-weekly episode series where I try to read and break down a simple book on finance, money, wealth, um, in order to understand it myself, and if this provides value to someone else, and I'll be really grateful. In the previous episode, we discussed chapter number one, which, which was titled, No One's Crazy where Housel broke down an important principle of wealth and finance from the perspective of everybody else's perspective. Everybody else sees money differently, depending on when they were born, where they were born, what kind of person they were, what kind of parents they had, etc. In this episode, we discuss chapter number two, titled Luck and Risk. Nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. Luck and risk are siblings, he says. They are both the reality that every outcome in life is guided by forces other than individual effort. And he quotes Professor Scott Galloway, who's the host of several podcasts, including Recode, Decode, as well as Prof G Talks, in which he says, nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. And this is the underlying story of Bill Gates and another interesting co-founder of Microsoft. He gives the story of Bill Gates, who um, who went on, who went, who was one of the lucky few high school students, I believe, that is between the uh, eighth grade or eighth standard to maybe the tenth grade or tenth standard, um, who went to a school called the Lakeside School outside of Seattle in uh, Washington State, and he uh, was lucky enough, as long as well as his classmates, to have a computer within. Um, within the school confines. The story of how Lakeside School just outside Seattle even got a computer is remarkable. Bill Dugal was a World War II Navy pilot turned high school math teacher. He believed that book study wasn't enough and real world experience was important. He also realized that we need to know something about computers when we got to college. In 1968, Dougal petitioned the school or the uh, Lakeside School Mothers Club to use the proceeds from its annual sale to lease a Model 30 computer. The whole idea of time sharing got only invented in 1965. Someone was pretty forward looking. Most university graduate students uh, did not have a computer anywhere as advanced as Bill Gates. And at this time, Gates was 13 years old in 1968 and his school had a computer. Him and Paul Allen, another co-founder of Microsoft, um, uh, used the computer and they were obsessed by it. They started developing programs uh, for it. And one of the main programs that they developed was a class attendance system for all the students within the school so that there wasn't any overlap of subjects or teachers. And during this process, they met another person called Kent Evans. He experienced an equally powerful dose of Luck's close sibling, Risk, he says. Bill Gates and Paul Allen became household names thanks to Microsoft's genius, but back at Lakeside, there was a third member of the gang of high school's computer prodigies. Kent Evans was as skilled with computers as Gates and Allen. Lakeside once struggled, and this is the story, to manually put together the school's class schedule. Children, by any measure, to build the computer programs to solve the problem. But it worked. These three students, Gates, Paul Allen, and Kent Evans, put it together. Unfortunately, 
reminiscing on his friendship with Kent Gates says that we would have kept working together. I'm sure we would have gone to college together. The only problem was that Kent unfortunately passed away in a mountaineering accident. And the way Bowser juxtaposes the importance or the role rather of luck and risk is very interesting. He says in 1968, there were roughly 303 million or 30.3 crore high school age people in the world, according to the United Nations. 18 million of them lived in the United States. 2.7 lakhs or 270,000 of them lived in Washington state. And only about 300 of them attended Lakeside School. Start with 303 million, end with 303. That is a one in a million chance. Similarly, every year, there are around three dozen mountaineering deaths in the United States. The odds of being killed on a mountain in high school are roughly one in a million. Bill Gates experienced one in a million luck by ending up at Lakeside. Ken Devins, on the other hand, experienced one in a million luck, a uh, one in a million risk by never getting to finish what he and Gates set out to achieve. The same force, the same magnitude, working in opposite directions. Housel says, Luck and risk are both the reality that every outcome in life is guided by forces other than individual effort. They are so similar that you can't believe in one without equally respecting the other. They are driven by the same thing. You are one person in a game with 7 billion other people in infinite moving parts. The accidental impact of actions outside of your control can be more consequential than the ones you consciously take. Let me do that again. The accidental impact of actions outside of your control can be more consequential than the ones you consciously take. And that is true no matter where you live, especially true in a place like India, where there are 1.3 odd billion people and everybody is just wants to get better, whether they want to get out of their city or whether they want to leave the country. Everybody wants to try to um, advance themselves and there are more young people in India than any other demographic and, and that is a competitive attitude aspect that is going to attract both luck and risk. Many people who you see around you are lucky and some of those who aren't have just ended up on the on the on the wrong side of risk and 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 this is what Housel wants to sort of decipher through this chapter. In doing so he spoke to Robert Schiller who wrote um, the uh, an, an, an important book called Irrational Exuberance, which tracks the exuberance within financial markets. Won the, and who also won the Nobel Prize, uh, Nobel Prize in Economics. He asked him, Hausel asked Schiller, what do you want to know about investing that we can't know? He says the role of luck in successful outcomes. Since, it, since it's hard to quantify luck and rude to suggest people's success is owed to it, the default stance is often to implicitly ignore luck as a factor of success. We often ignore it because we think if we meet someone who's highly successful, if we tell them, oh, you're only successful because you know, you've been lucky at this project, at that service, or you, or you started at the right place at the right time, that is considered indecent. Um, when judging others, he says, attributing success to luck makes you look jealous and mean, even if we know it exists. And when judging yourself, attributing success to luck can also be demoralizing to accept. If you told someone, if you thought to yourself, the only reason I got here was because I was really, really lucky. It 
just means you're underplaying everything that you worked hard for and underplaying everything that you achieve. He says everything worth pursuing has less than 100% odds of succeeding. And risk is just what happens when you end up on the unfortunate side of that equation. Trust us with luck, the story gets too hard, too messy, too complex. If we try to pick apart how many, how much of an outcome was a conscious decision versus a risk. It's possible to statistically measure some decisions were wise, but in the real world, day to day, we simply don't. It's too hard. And that is why we prefer stories. We prefer narratives. We prefer tales that people tell us. Simple things that we can get behind, even though we do not understand the more complex things that are behind it. These simple stories, which are easy, easy, but often devilishly misleading. Think about anything, especially with the term uh, within the world of finance, where people try to say, especially in the stock markets, when people say that a particular stock is going up or is supposed to go down, it's very easy to get misled by that. But on the other hand, it's very easy to buy that narrative that people are trying to say, whether it's people in the media, people in the company, or people in any sort of uh, stakeholder position, they tell themselves and tell other people a narrative that most people often believe. If you had a bad outcome, it must have been because, or it must have been caused by a bad decision. It's the story that makes more sense to me, he says, when judging myself, I can make up a wild narrative justifying my past decisions and attributing bad outcomes to risk. Meaning that anytime I fail, it's because a form of risk that I failed to accept spurted out and caused me to not achieve what I want to achieve. But if someone else had a bad decision or a bad outcome, it's because they, it's not because of risk, it's because they did not uh, make the decision very well. The dangerous part of this is that we're all trying to learn about what works and what does not. We're all figuring it out, as he mentioned in the previous chapter, what investing strategies work, what don't, what business strategies work, what don't. How do you get rich and how do you avoid being poor? In order to understand these questions, we rely mostly on stories and narratives. We have brains, he says, that prefer easy answers without much appetite for nuance. So identifying the traits we should emulate or avoid can be agonizingly hard. He says, he gives the, he gives the example of uh, examples of two uh, industrialists of America. One was Cornelius Vanderbilt and the other John D. Rockefeller, who had have achieved great amount of success, but who could have um, very easily been pushed to the other side of having taken great amount of risk and couldn't have achieved this amount of success. And he also gives an example of Benjamin Graham, um, the famous value investor, probably the, the forefather or the sort of founder of the value investing philosophy, mm -hmm. who's written a wonderful book on, um, on, 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 on stocks, uh, on understanding the equity markets and picking companies called the intelligent investor. He's famed for also being one of the early mentors for Warren Buffett. And he's hailed as this wonderful, fantastic investor uh, who's outperformed the market and had um, even worked during several market crashes, highs and lows. But Hazel says the majority of Ben Graham's investing success 
was due to owning an enormous chunk of Geico stock, which by his own admission broke nearly every diversification rule that Graham himself laid out in his famous text. Where does that line between bold and reckless fall here? I don't know. Graham wrote about the Geico Bonanza as, quote, one lucky break or one supremely shrewd decision. Can we tell them apart? Not easily. And that is similar with any big company that has sold or not sold themselves, refused to sell or refused to buy a particular company. He gives the example of Mark Zuckerberg's Facebook, which did not sell for a um, billion dollars to Yahoo at the time or Yahoo for not buying Microsoft. Um, or sorry, or, or Yahoo, Yahoo for not being bought out by Microsoft. What is the lesson for entrepreneurs here, here? He says, I have no idea because risk and luck are so hard to pin down. And, and, and that is one of the simplistic beauties of this, this book in his writing is he's very honest about what he's saying. He doesn't have an idea of what we should make between the difference between luck and risk, but we should acknowledge it. And he says there are so many examples of this, countless fortunes, countless failures, all their outcome to leverage, all their outcomes to luck and risk. This is not an easy problem to solve. The difficulty in identifying what is luck, what is skill and what is risk is one of the biggest problems we face when trying to learn about the best way to manage money. But two things can put you in a better situation. Be careful who you praise and admire. Be careful who you look down upon and wish to avoid becoming. Focus less on specific individuals and case studies and more on broad patterns. Studying a specific person can be dangerous, he says, because we tend to study extreme examples, either the people who are right on the top, who have succeeded beyond anybody else, or people who are right at the bottom, who have failed beyond anybody else. The more extreme the outcome, he says, the less likely you can apply its lesson to your own life. Because the more likely the outcome was influenced by extreme ends of luck or risk. You'll get closer to actionable takeaways by looking for broad patterns of success and failure. The more common the pattern, the more applicable it might be to your life. Trying to emulate Warren Buffett's investment success is hard because his results are so extreme. And luck isn't something you can reliably emulate. But, but realizing that people who have control over their time tend to be happier in life is a broad and common enough observation that you can do something with it. When things are going well or extremely well, realize and remember and recall this as, as, as often as you can. Nothing is as good or as bad as it seems. You're not invincible. And if you acknowledge that luck brought you success, then you have to believe in luck's cousin, risk, which can turn your story around just as quickly. Failure can be a lousy teacher, as Bill Gates says, because it seduces smart people into thinking that decisions were terrible when sometimes they just reflect the unforgiving realities of risk. When dealing with failure is arranging your financial life in a way that a bad investment here and a missed financial goal there won't wipe you out. You can keep playing until the odds fall in your favor. Two things that I'd like to pick out there. Avoid doing anything, especially with your finances, that can wipe you out. Nothing is worth an all or nothing. 
nothing is worth just putting everything in there if it means if it means there is no way to restart and that is incredibly important in several things especially true with finance more important is that as much as we recognize the role of luck in success the role of risk means we should forgive ourselves and leave room for understanding with judging failures his last lines of this chapter are nothing is as good or as bad as it seems that's it from this episode of psychology of money by morgan housel if there's any way i can improve um, this podcast this narration uh, please do let me know but that's it from this episode i will see you next